Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver. Great to be with you on this Wednesday, where we have an absolutely jam-packed show on tap for you guys tonight. Very, very exciting. Uh, in about 30 minutes uh, to, uh, to 30 to 45 minutes, carving up the context about Justin Herbert with the Los Angeles Chargers. And the fact of the matter is, folks, he's having a somewhat down season, at least by his standards, is what I believe to be one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league. Some have him lower, some have him higher. I think Trevor, I'm sorry, uh, Justin Herbert's a fantastic talent. And um, this year, more has been less. That's how I would lead carving up the context in about a half hour. Tune in for that. Also, Trevor Lawrence went down with an injury in the Jaguars loss in overtime to the Cincinnati Bengals. I will explain to you why Jacksonville is not done as a contender in the AFC, and I mean Super Bowl contender in the AFC. Not saying I'm picking them to go there, but they're not dead yet. I'll get into that uh, later on today's show. Also, Bryson's best 10, my top 10 teams in the NFL going into week 14. There's a change at the top of it. You could probably guess who that is. And a brand new team entering Bryson's best 10 for the first time, and I got to admit to y'all, Makes me sick. I'm just killing me to put this team in the top 10, but they've earned the right to be there. So I will de detail that in about an hour. At the end of the show, pray for me because I'm going to predict a game that may set off its back a half century. It's the New England Patriots, led by quarterback Bailey Zappi, against my Pittsburgh Steelers, led by quarterback Mitch Trubisky. Trubisky. It could get ugly from Pittsburgh, and not in a good way. But first... One of the games of the NBA season thus far in the uh, in Los Angeles between the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Lakers. It is the knockout round of the inaugural in-season tournament in the NBA, of which I've said props Adam Silver. He he aced the bubble, uh, okay, and now he's aced the in-season tournament. By the way, before that, sandwiched in between, he's aced the play-in tournament. Adam Silver, I believe to be, with respect to Roger Goodell, the best commissioner in all of professional sports here in the United States. But... The Suns uh, fell last night to the Lakers uh, in, in what was a, a crazy game start to finish. I want to talk about LeBron before I get to the controversy because there was a lot of, and I mean, I, I was tweeting about it during the game, a lot of controversy about that play that happened with seven seconds left. Let's start with LeBron. So, I don't know if I'll hold to this. I try, anytime I set a rule for myself, especially if I do it on Carving It Up Live, I like to have the discipline to stick with it. I don't know if I'll be able to with this one, but I'm certainly going to try. I am done debating who's better between LeBron James and Michael Jordan. It's not because, oh, one's so clearly over the other. I'm, I'm done. I am done debating that until LeBron James' career is over. That could be after this season, next season. Who knows? We know he wants to play with Bronny James. Bronny was just cleared uh, to play basketball, so it looks like his health situation is good. But God bless Bronny James. But LeBron, however long he goes. I will not entertain the GOAT discussion until he says, you know what, I'm done playing basketball at a professional level. I want to sit back and enjoy it. Because remember when LeBron James had that speech? Oh, he was crushed at the ESPYs. And he had his whole family up there. He had his beautiful wife, Savannah, and their three kids up there. And it, it felt sort of like a retirement speech, but not quite. Like, we weren't really sure what LeBron was doing. And he said... You know, there, there's been points in my career where I, I've thought about maybe hanging it up. I mean, we remember LeBron, there were some retire, retirement rumors after the Lakers got swept by Denver in the Western Conference Finals. Like, we just weren't sure. And he said, during the ESPYs, lucky for you, that time is not now. I'm coming back. 
Oh, he was eviscerated the next day. Oh, lucky for us. How arrogant of LeBron James to say such a thing. How lucky of us. No, no, no. He's the one who's lucky to play in the NBA, which, yes, LeBron is, is has some God-given abilities to play the game of basketball at a higher level than arguably anybody that's ever played it. But again, to his credit, he's obviously an insanely hard worker to hone those skills. Yeah, we are lucky. We are lucky that he's doing what he's doing. Last night, LeBron James. Uh, this stat line... For a guy who's going to be 40 years old in a year and three weeks. Just want to put that in perspective. A year and three weeks. LeBron James is going to be 40. He's already today the oldest player in all basketball. What LeBron James do last night? Oh, you know, all he did was drop 31 points, 11 assists, 8 rebounds, and 5 steals. And in a game featuring Devin Booker, who we know to be the, the scoring extraordinaire that he is, has a 70-point game on his resume, with Anthony Davis, who's probably the best defensive player in basketball right now and had a very good first half, kind of a down second half, but was really good defensively. In a game that featured a guy who, because of LeBron's dominance at this stage of his career, isn't getting the credit he deserves for how great he is at this stage of his career, coming off an Achilles, that's Kevin Durant, who's been phenomenal this season. It was great last night. In a game featuring first bout Hall of Famer Kevin Durant, first bout Hall of Famer Anthony Davis, and potential first bout Hall of Famer. Again, we got, still got to see more years from Devin Booker, but potential Hall of Famer in D-Book. As the oldest player in the league, LeBron was the best player out there. Just take that into context. They're carving up the context in about a half hour. This isn't it. But when you consider the fact, oldest player in the league, I mean, Kobe was retired by this. God bless, God rest Kobe's soul. Kobe was retired by this age. Dirk was shot at this age, was done. Nowhere near what he was at. Kevin Garnett, shot at this age. Couldn't, couldn't, nowhere near what he was in his first in Minnesota and in Boston. All the great players, Kareem, done by this point in his career. LeBron's in year 21, and it's inarguable. He's a top five player in the league. Could we say, potentially, maybe top three player in the league? And you see what LeBron does in these elimination games, and that's what's great. It's weird to say this. We're in December. We're still talking about a lot of football, but it's weird to say last night as an elimination game, but it was for the Lakers. It was for the Suns, too, a knockout round of the end-season tournament. And LeBron just flipped to that other gear. And again, this is a guy, and th th these, this is insane for a guy his, his age. Insane. He's averaging 24-7-6 on 54% shooting. And for a guy that everybody's like, oh, LeBron can't shoot, he's shooting 39% from three. There's 38% from three, I believe. 38, 39% from three. He's been fantastic. I am, until LeBron is done, I will try to hold myself to this. I swear to y'all. I'm done doing the GOAT debate. It's the same. Now, Brady was in a different stage of his career where everybody universally acknowledged that the gap, with all due respect to the great Joe Montana, the gap became just so wide between Tom and Montana, it almost became laughable. Not that we're laughing at Joe. We're just laughing at, oh my God, this dude's a freak talking about Tom Brady. So a different stage in terms of the GOAT debate between him and Montana, and then when you talk about LeBron and Michael Jordan. There's certainly this, I think even reasonable LeBron fans would say this, and I'm a LeBron fan, would say that there's a much closer gap between Braun and Jordan, whoever you think is the GOAT, than between Brady and Montana. There's no question about that. It's, it's, it's inarguable. We can save that for a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, heck, five years from now, given how LeBron's playing. What he's doing right now is insane. By the way, you know what else he's doing? 
Because I listen, you y'all know this is why I do this segment, carving up the context. If there's one thing that if there's one thing I do love doing on this show that I'm so blessed to do in front of you, the incredible audience, it's dispel false narratives. And one of the I would argue at the tip top of false narratives in sports is, yeah, LeBron's not clutch. You know, I I'd take all these guys to take like guys like with again respect to Kobe. All due respect to the late great Kobe Bryant, fourth greatest player of all time in my view. It's kind of universally agreed upon. Yeah, I'd take Kobe. Give me the ball. Give the ball to Kobe with the the, the game on the line. Down one, I need Kobe at a game-winning shot. That's not to say Kobe went clutch. Kobe had some amazing clutch shots throughout his career. Across the board, LeBron's numbers are better than clutch field goal percentage. Um, uh, you know, clutch time points. I mean, this season, folks, ladies and gentlemen, in a league with Steph Curry, clutch, Kevin Durant, clutch, Luka Doncic, clutch, Nikola Jokic, LeBron James is leading the NBA right now in fourth quarter field goals made and clutch time field goals made. Uh, This guy is, I think he's, I'm going to say the same thing about him that I said about Tom Brady in year 21. When Tom Brady in year 21 won a Super Bowl for the Buccaneers and threw 40 touchdowns. I said, I think he was built in a lab. I think LeBron James was built in a lab. This is, there's, listen, LeBron takes care of his body. Uh, we, we, we know he's taking incredible care of his body throughout his entire career. We know this. But this would be like working a t- – take, take whatever job uh, right at the top of your head you could think of. This is like working a physically taxing job because we know about jobs in general that the longer you stay there, the more equity you build within it, wherever you work. You know, you probably get promoted and, and you, you gain respect around the building. And it, you, we, we know whatever the case may be, however long you work there. Right, you gain you gain valuable experience that a kid who comes in that doesn't have any experience just doesn't have, obviously. So, of course, the the older men or or older man or older woman would have the experience in, in front of the, the kid. Well, LeBron obviously has an experience advantage over literally every single player in the league, and that's not a hyperbole. He's the oldest player in basketball. This would be like a physically taxing job. Again, just think of anything. I don't know, being a trucker. Okay, that's a very physically taxing job. That would be like a guy at 60 with the stamina and production of somebody who's 25. That's what LeBron James is doing right now. He's just as good, if not better, than every single player in basketball. Let's just take stars, because obviously he's better than the vast majority of the league. Kevin Durant is phenomenal. Katie's in year 17. By the way, suffered an Achilles injury a half decade ago. Like, this is... Katie's dealt with some serious injuries and is still phenomenal at this stage of his career. Steph Curry, year 15. Guys don't do in year 15 what Steph Curry's doing. Averaging 30 a game. Braun and Steph is tight. And I would say, uh, Braun, Katie's tight too. But I would take LeBron James over Kevin Durant. And that's not a slight at KD. But he's still an amazing playmaker. He's still active on the defensive end. He can lock down when he absolutely has to in the final minutes of a game like last night. And he's still an A-plus score. Efficiency. Now he's knocking down three-point shots consistently. Getting to the rim at will. I mean, what we are seeing from LeBron is nothing short, aside from Tom Brady, of unheard of. It's certainly unheard of in the NBA. It's, it, it's certainly unheard of in the NBA. It is beyond me what this guy is doing. Um, listen, I, I, listen, I personally think he is the GOAT. But I don't even want to debate that until his career is over. I want to, because listen, he is in year 21. There's a whole lot longer left. I want, honest to God, to sit back, watch. And I, by the way, I hate the Lakers. I'm a Warriors fan. 
I want to sit back, watch, and enjoy what this man is doing. Because I don't think we'll ever see this again. Maybe the NBA, and certainly it's all, in all likelihood in sports. My gosh. It's going to be 40 a year from now and three weeks from now. year and three weeks from now, LeBron James will be 40. And he's still clearly a top five player in basketball. It is beyond unheard of. I mean, that would be, because here's the thing about Tom Brady, and this isn't to take a shot at Tom, but if you think about what, what, what Tom Brady has done in his career, at least the position that he plays, it is a physically taxing position that you do have to take hits from defensive linemen and what have you. And if you're a running quarterback like a Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts, you're going to take some extra blows unless, you know, as, as, unless you're smart with your body and sliding. But the rules have changed. I talked about that last week with Tom Brady. I'm, I'm carving up the context. The rules have changed to the point where there's only a certain way you can hit the quarterback. The way Tom played was very much an efficient, get the ball out of your hands quick type of, of, of game. LeBron plays a sport where, man, everybody deals with contact. LeBron, as much as anybody, because he's still the physical specimen that he is. He's still the freight train coming down the lane that he is. My gosh, un unbelievable. Okay, here we go. See, Mike Guido's in the comments. I'm going to get to the controversy during the game, by the way. Uh, he says, uh, Juan, Mike Guido says, Juan Soto looks like a Yankee, Bryson. It, just, see, he, he's just, he's still, listen, I don't like Yankee fans, and I don't like Cavs fans. Mike Guido's both, <laughs> okay? So, uh, listen, how I always say, how we're friends, it, it doesn't make sense. It just Because I'm a Red Sox fan, I'm a Warriors fan, he's a uh, he, he's a Yankees fan and a and a Cavaliers fan. It's it, it doesn't make sense, but you know what? Mike's a good dude. But Mike, I'm just I'm just here to tell you, Juan Soto is not going to be a, a Yankee. He's not. Okay. And by the way, thank you for those pitchers. Okay. Thank you for those pitchers for Alex Verdugo. Uh, my man Philip Chenault, who's a Lakers fan, by the way, is in the comments. He says LeBron is in all caps insane. And AR15 talking about uh, talking about uh, Austin Reeves is so clutch. That was a great game against the Suns. But if LeBron gets injured, which is going to happen at some point due to his age, can the Lakers hold up? I'm not sure. I don't think so. By the way. Just occurred to me. LeBron played 40 minutes. LeBron James played 40 minutes. It's insane um, what he's doing. He says LeBron has gotten more clutch as his career has progressed. Due to his IQ and skill, it has helped over the years of his career. He has. Like that. Yeah, you can certainly make that case. Like, obviously, everybody remembers, and I feel like that's the only thing the people in the LeBron's not clutch camp sort of just hang on to and cling to is the 2011 finals against Dallas. It's like that's the biggest knock as a LeBron guy, as a guy who thinks LeBron's the GOAT, uh, even if you think LeBron's too. That is that is the knock, is he was bad in that series, especially games four, five, and six. He was terrible against the Dallas Mavericks. After that, his resume is, is insane. MVP in 2012 along with a championship against the Thunder. MVP 2013 championship against, against the Thunder. Got to a finals in 2014. People say, oh, you know, this is yeah, – he, he lost to the, the Spurs by a record finals margin. Yeah, he averaged 28 in that series, and Kawhi, who guarded him and shut him down, won finals MVP. You know, LeBron dropped 28. So, anyways, next year, one of the most impressive I've ever seen – I've ever been by LeBron. He's playing a 67-win Warriors team with the league MVP Steph Curry, loses Kyrie and Kevin Love – and still takes that series six games and average, what do you average, 35, 13, and nine? And the guy who, I say this again in air quotes, shut him down, my man Andre Guadalupe. I've literally got his book behind me. Love Andre. Shut him down, right? 35, 13, nine, one finals MVP. 2016, please don't remind me. 3-1 comeback against a 73-win team. I don't want to talk about that. It, it's, oh, it still hurts. Uh, 2017, lost in five games, but dropped a finals triple-double. 2018, got a as probably the worst team we've ever seen in NBA Finals, to the Finals. His second best player was an old Kevin Love. His third best player was J.R. Smith. 
I mean, two years later, wins a championship in the bubble. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Barry, who's a Lakers fan and uh, is, is in my camp and believe in LeBron's a go, he says, Kang, K-A-N-G. I love that. He says, we will never see this again. This will be the 56-game hit streak, the DiMaggio hit streak. No, no question about it. It is, listen, guys, I'm going to make it to year 21. Like, I, I've said it, Steph Curry, I've said before that I think Steph will be the Tom Brady of the NBA. Not that he'll be the greatest player ever, because as much as I love Steph, I, I don't think he'll ever get there. But I think he his style of basketball is not physically taxing. I think Steph can still have another three to four high-end years. I, I truly believe that. He may still, like the, what LeBron's doing, he's not going to take away from whatever Steph does in the future of his career. For the time being, that, that title may go to LeBron. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Patrick Brown, also like a lot of Laker fans in the comments. I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Any Yankees fan, I feel like everybody's coming at me, but most people are agree with me, so I'll, I'll, I'll take it. But Patrick says, we have to appreciate LeBron's greatness. Once he walks away, we won't see anything, anything like him ever again. And it goes back to, agree with you, Patrick, and it goes back to what I said during the segment. Everybody got on LeBron James. Oh, he, how arrogant of him to say, uh, it's we are lucky to see him play. Yeah, we are lucky to see him play. We are, we are beyond lucky to see him play. By the way, the NBA is lucky to have him in the league. Remember when Jordan retired in 98 and the league was irrelevant until the Shaq and Kobe Lakers, and then that's around the time LeBron came into the NBA at age 18 at a high school? NBA was irrelevant from 1999 to about 02, 03, somewhere in that time period. Yes, you had AI. Yes, you had the rise of Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. Nobody cared about the NBA at that point. Nobody cared. Um, I fear, because whenever LeBron retires, Steph and KD won't be too far behind. That's not to say the guys like Wimbenyama or Jokic, they'll still be amazing. I think Wimby's going to be phenomenal. And Jokic, we know what he is. He's a two-time MVP and the best player in the world right now. Um, there's two things to be said. The NBA, while it has the best players in the world, is still a North American product. Obviously, I guess a North American because the Toronto Raptors are in the league. It's a North American product. There is something to be said about having North American faces of the league. That, like, that does matter. Like, who's the best young American player? Like, young guy, under 30. Probably Jason Tatum. I mean, because I'm like, Joel Embiid's going to play for Team USA. He's not U.S. born. I, I guess Jason Tatum is probably the best young, younger, I guess. He's entering his prime right now. U.S. born player. There, there's a certain bit of swag, and this matters. Moxie, big brand that comes with being the face lead. The MJ, we know he had. He still has it with the shoes. LeBron has. Steph has. Katie, to a certain degree, has. Uh, I, the NBA is going to maybe struggling to find its next great American star once those guys are gone. Um, but I did want to talk about briefly. Oh, it looks like we got another, another comment. Let's see what we got. Okay, Barry says Anthony Edwards for me. He might be, but if he does, Barry, then he's got to get out of Minnesota. I don't care if the Minnesota Timberwolves are starting like this. I don't. This is not a personal shot, but I don't trust their head coach, Chris Finch. Uh, I like Cats, not as a two, more as a three. I, I dang sure don't trust Rudy Gobert. Uh, I think I think Anthony Edwards is going to have to pull the, pull the KG route and get out of Minnesota. If, 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 if Edwards goes to, I don't know, if he goes to the Dallas map, of course, he wouldn't be the man on the Mavericks. Luka would be. I don't know. Let's say the think of a big market. Let's say Jimmy Butler kind of falls off the next couple of years. Certainly not rooting for that because I love Jimmy. And Anthony Edwards goes to the Miami Heat. Then I think because the Heat are a big brand, big city, championships, Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra. That could be a situation where you could maybe have your few uh, your um your face of the league. 
May I, I hope so for his sake and for the NBA's sake. But I, do I think he'll be the face of the league like LeBron? I don't know. I don't know. Because LeBron's the only guy since Jordan that could be the face of the league in the way that Jordan was. That's the only thing. And again, too, a lot of the NBA's popularity, a lot of it, I would argue more than the NFL's, is through social media. We see highlights. I mean, I remember two years ago, John Morant was, I remember they put out a stat like he was the most watched NBA player on Instagram or something because he had all these crazy highlights dunking on people and crossing guys up. Uh, so social media plays factor in it as well. I did real quick want to address the controversy at the end of the game. So again, Suns like, it's a fantastic game throughout. Okay, the Lakers got up by double digits early. Then Phoenix came back in the third quarter, tied it, took the lead. LeBron and Katie were going back and forth. AD had a great first half, uh, not a great second half, certainly offensively, although he was effective on the defensive end. But uh, we get to a point where uh, Austin Reeves hits a massive shot, a big shot, because Lakers are up one. Austin Reeves makes it uh, to put the Lakers up by four points with about 15 seconds left. Well, we get to how much time is left at this point? Okay, so Kevin Durant makes a layup with 11 seconds. Tough. Reverse. It was a beautiful shot by KD. Uh, those Lakers timeout. Lakers. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, before that, that was after the KD layup. Okay, so they're looking to inbound it, and they get it to Austin Reeves. So Austin Reeves got the ball. It looks like Reeves is anticipating a foul. I think it was by Eric Gordon or Eric, De- Eric Gordon. I think it was Devin Booker. It was Devin Booker who was whacking at him. Uh, no foul call. Then KD comes in, strips the basketball, and then right at almost, I wouldn't say simultaneously, but as the ball is on the floor with not a Sun or Laker in possession of it, LeBron looks to the sideline to the ref to try and call a timeout, and the ref gives him the timeout. Now, you guys know, first and foremost, that I am, I am at the back of the... I'm not in the back line. I'm not even in the line. People say, oh, they lost because it was the refs. No. Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes alluded to the other day when the Chiefs got hosed in a call at the end of that game on the Valdez-Scantling interference. They said, look, if you got to rely on a ref to win a game, then then you didn't deserve to win the game. And And Kevin Durant said something very, very similar. Props to KD. He answered the question perfectly after the game when they asked him about it. Because, again, for those of you who don't know the rule, if a player calls timeout, and or even a coach, if anybody calls timeout, but their team doesn't, if no, and nobody has possession of the ball, then it's not a timeout because you, you can't call timeout if you don't have the basketball. Okay, so that's how that works. LeBron, Reeves, not a son, didn't have possession. They gave the timeout. So what is it? Was it a bad call? Yes. Did the Suns get hosed? No, they didn't. The problem for the Suns was the fact that the Lakers this season have been one of the worst first quarter scoring teams in the NBA. What the Lakers do in that first quarter against Phoenix? Again, I keep trying to warn you all about Phoenix's defense. KD's amazing, so is Booker. They're not a good defensive team. Lakers dropped 33. So the Suns were kind of playing catch-up the whole game, certainly in the fourth quarter when LeBron was making those shots and Austin Reeves had that shot there with 15 seconds. Like that stuff, that stuff matters. You got to get off these hot starts. And KD said, hey, it's a 48-minute game. Okay, that, that, that's one play out of a million that we could have made or maybe we didn't get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, like it's, was it a bad call? Yes. Did it decide the outcome of the game? No, it did not. No, it did not. And, and by the way, everybody says, oh, let's, let's punish the officials. There's some sources that say they, the officials are punished just behind closed doors. Adam Silver's not going to make that public. So for those of you who want to find refs, nobody said Adam Silver didn't find refs. It's just not public. But no, the, the Suns, it was a bad call. Uh, okay, let's see. Uh, Barry just says, report just dropped. Refs confirmed Lakers possession. Uh, okay, um, that's that's fine. But uh, listen, I 
we can go back and watch the play. I don't think LeBron or certainly LeBron didn't, but Reeves didn't have possession of the ball. Now, had they not given the timeout, had LeBron not reached a call timeout, would he have gotten the loose ball before Grayson Allen got it? Very, very, very possible. LeBron certainly, even at this stage, as we just talked about, a better athlete than, than Grayson Allen is. Uh, although, you know, in Grayson Allen's history, he's probably diving into LeBron's leg. So it's, it's probably a good thing that the Lakers got a timeout because with Grayson Allen, he's one of those guys, kind of like that dude who plays in, in Houston, who we will not mention his name. But there's certain guys, Patrick Beverly in the past, Patrick's not as dirty as he was, uh, dirty now as he was then. But Patrick Beverly diving into Westbrook's knee in 2013 in the playoffs. Like certain guys, you really don't want to be near a loose ball when they're in the area. Like, unless it's last play of the game, desperate, just. Make a business decision. You don't want to get your ACL ripped up by some dirty player. We know, again, we know Grayson Allen's history going back to Duke. So all that is in consideration as well. So maybe hindsight's 2020. Maybe the Lake, maybe the refs did make the right decision. I don't know. And the last thing, listen, you imagine the conversation. People will be talking about boot Grayson out of the league, suspend him for the rest of the season. He just ended LeBron James's year. Uh, so hindsight's 2020. Maybe, maybe it's probably a good thing the Lakers gave position. And one thing I did want to mention. One thing I did want to mention, because, again, we keep receipts on Carving Up Live, on myself and others. The in-season tournament for the NBA, ratings is up, raising ratings are up, attendance is up, effort is up by the players. I mean, you could tell these, these atmospheres, that Indiana Pacers-Boston Celtics game last night was amazing. Tyrese Halliburton going on this run, it didn't feel like just some regular Tuesday, early December game. No, it this game had meaning. And again, it is the inaugural in-season tournament. By next year, the players will be much more familiar with the format, and there's a potential the intensity is even higher next year. Right now, it's kind of a feel-out process. What is this? We know it's important, and because we know it's important, we're going to play hard. It's funny that you're seeing the effort that you're seeing from the players because I could have sworn that I said after the All-Star game, Remember that All-Star game, the god-off All-Star game in Utah? I remember Jason Tatum won MVP. It was just a terrible game. It was a layup line. It was a bad, bad game. No, no player put in even the slightest bit of effort. And everybody crushed the players the next day. I said, they're just listening to the fans. If the fans don't care about the All-Star game, and I see the ratings, they don't. And then they get mad at you for not caring about the All-Star game. Feels a bit hypocritical. And I said on that show, if you give the players a sense of urgency and something to play for, you will get their best. That's why we see what the NBA has been, what we see the NBA in the playoffs. But this is what I said back in February about sense of urgency. Give the players compensation. Get, these are some of the richest athletes in the world. Okay, they're they're simply not going to be up and golly gee, ready to go for some random Tuesday night in December. But if you add stakes to it. Okay, I'm in. What, what what are we doing? By the way, the winner of the tournament gets a million dollars. Okay, so that matters too. But this is what I said in February. Last night, as Jalen Brown said after the game, is a glorified layup line. It was terrible. Nobody seems to be moved by going into the All-Star game. People aren't like, ah, we got to stop everything we're doing to watch the All-Star game. A casual fan probably isn't going to do that. Heck, those in the media don't really care that much about it either. But then the next day, they bash the players for not really caring about it. You didn't care about it. The fans really don't care about it that much, except in Utah where the game was. So the players should. These players listen to narratives. And if the narrative out there is that the game doesn't mean anything, they hear that. 
And that's not just the All-Star game. That's the regular season as well. Said that back in February. Funny. Here's a quote by LeBron James. This is what LeBron said after the game. Again, you guys, I got some pushback on that. Like, oh, it doesn't matter. You still got to go out there and play. Give the players a sense of urgency. Give them something to play for. And you will get their best effort. LeBron, what do you think? Um, well, um, like I said in my post uh, on, on, on the floor, um, I mean, you got some of the most alpha male competitors in the world. And if you give us an opportunity to play for something, something meaningful, um, with an incentive, then you'll get what you're getting. Um, so, um, and I know the competitive nature of myself. I know the competitive nature of this guy next to me and our DNA that we're trying to build for this team. So, um, the end season tournament is what it is. And we have an opportunity to, you know, play on a big stage, be on national television, be able to represent our families. Give them something to play for and they'll play hard. If you don't give a guy an incentive, you go, you, you, again, it, it, that would be like, I used the example in the analogy back in February. That would be like if there was some random quiz. Again, I'm a college student. That'd be like if, if, if a professor gave me and the rest of my classmates some random quiz, okay, and said, really not that important, but participate. It's, it's, it's more of a participation thing. It's just a matter of just you showing up and taking the quiz. But then you get your grades back, and maybe the grade doesn't look so good because maybe you didn't put the effort in because there wasn't the incentive there because it doesn't affect your grade, your overall grade, and the professor gets mad. She's like, why do you put the effort in? Because it didn't mean anything. Don't get mad at me because you told us coming in that it didn't mean anything. Now you're mad at us because the effort, because the effort wasn't there. That's what LeBron's alluding to. Do you think LeBron has given that kind of effort against Phoenix? Maybe against Phoenix. Maybe. But if that was, I don't know, Sacramento? Or, I don't know, the Warriors, yes, because uh, the history there. But, I don't know, Minnesota? Eh, probably not. Not that LeBron is just not putting in the effort, but when there is an added level of intensity, as with any sport, as with anything in life, your focus is different. Adam Silver hit another home run. He hit another home run. I know people don't like this in-season tournament. Ratings are up. Um, attendance is up. Effort, watch the games, is clearly up. Another W in the column, another win for Adam Silver. Now he just needs to make sure that Scott Foster and Chris Paul are on the same floor together. I saw Adam Silver had a, had a quote today saying, hey, they, they just need to work past their differences. Commish, I think it's beyond that at this point, okay? But other than that, Commissioner, job well done. He aced the bubble, he aced the playing tournament, and he more than aced the in-season tournament. Great, great stuff from Adam Silver and from the NBA. Great, great game last night, just... Even the game before that, Pacers and Celtics was a fun one. Congrats to the Pacers for advancing uh, to Vegas. And Tyrese Halliburton putting on the show that he did. I love this in-season tournament. Can't wait to see how it plays out on Thursday and on Saturday. All right, let's shift to the NFL. There's, again, there's a lot of storylines in that game. With LeBron, with the, the call at the end, with the in-season tournament. Let's shift to the NFL. So, the game Monday night, Jacksonville Jaguars, Cincinnati Bengals. I did have Jacksonville winning this game, as I think most did. Again, they were 10-point favorites. It's... It felt pretty obvious Cincinnati with the backup quarterback. And I did have the Jacks scoring 31. They scored 31. Problem is they gave up 34 to a guy named Jake Browning, who had the game of his life. Real quick, let's just give love to Jake Browning, okay? 
uh, 32 at 37, 354, a touchdown and a passer rating of 115. And he ran for a touchdown and a quarterback sneak. So hats off Jake Browning, man. Heck of a performance. And at least give the Bengals a fighting shot. Maybe not a realistic one, but a fighting shot at potentially sinking into the playoffs. But the bigger story is Jacksonville. And the biggest story, uh, bigger story is Trevor Lawrence who injured his ankle, ended up being diagnosed as a high ankle sprain, and uh, he's out indefinitely. Doug Peterson announced today that he won't he won't practice this week, and it's he's not going to play on Saturday. I'm sorry, on Sunday against the Cleveland Browns and Miles Garrett. So that, that feels like it would be uh, – feels like you, you're just throwing – you're setting up your quarterback to fail, setting up your team to fail. By the way, Christian Kirk went down that game as well. A lot of people are just writing off the Jacksonville Jaguars as contenders in the AFC, if, even if you didn't think they were contenders, uh, as a potential threat in the NFC to scare somebody. I'm not going to do that today. So what? They, they're, they're not, they're not going to be the one seed now. In all likelihood, again, they're a game back. But had they beaten Cincinnati, that would have gone a long way. They actually would have been the number one seed coming into week 14. That would have helped them tremendously by conventional wisdom. I think what the Jacksonville Jaguars are, they are the Boston Celtics of the last two years in the playoffs at home. Jaguars, losing record at home. On the road, undefeated. Undefeated. That's the Celtics. Look at this, these, these playoff series, 2022 and 2023. They have a winning record in a lot of these series on the road, losing record at home. I mean, last year, uh, or sorry, the last playoffs, they... they uh, went to Philly and won a game six, but they lost a game five at home before that. After they lost a game one at home before that, they lost their first, they lost three of their four home games in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Heat. Won two of their three road games. It's a weird thing. I don't know if it's the pressure, whatever the case may be. And we know the Jaguars don't have an extensive history. Uh, they're an expansion team of the 90s, kind of like the Panthers and the Ravens. So maybe that factors in as well. But um, I don't think the Jaguars are done. I think if Trevor is able to come back two to three weeks from now and the Jaguars are still afloat, and by the way, Jacksonville schedule, for those that are wondering, they do have the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. That's a tough one, although the Browns don't really have a quarterback to speak of. No disrespect to Joe Flacco, but uh, those days have passed. Then you got the Ravens. That's that's dicey with or without Trevor. But then at the end of the, end of the season, Bucks, Panthers, Titans. Two of those, th- well, one is an awful team, Carolina. One's at least going to be fighting for a playoff spot in Tampa, but Jacksonville is absolutely better than Tampa, and the Titans will probably be resting all their starters in Week 18. So if Trevor is able to come back at 85 to 90%, and that's what I would do if I'm Jacksonville. I'm. It's the same thing I would have said. Rest Burrow early in the season, and maybe that he wouldn't be the situation he is now with Cincinnati. Rest Trevor at least the next two weeks. Because to me, you have just as good of a chance to beat the Ravens, and those chances would be slim because how great the Ravens' defense is. But you have just as good of a chance to beat the Ravens with C.J. Beathard in as with a 60% Trevor Lawrence. You just do. It, it's He's, he's going to be gimpy. He's not going to be as mobile. You're going to have those pass rushers coming at him. It's, it's, it's not going to be good. The Jags probably get blown out in that game. Either way, rest him against Cleveland, rest him against Baltimore, and then you got three games against either bad teams or teams under 500. Tennessee, Carolina, Tampa Bay. At that point, the Jags, let's say they go 0-2 in this stretch, but then they end up winning those three games. That's 11-6. They're in the playoffs. They probably host a playoff game. They end up getting the tiebreaker over Houston. We'll see what Houston does and if they're able to take advantage of this Indy, potentially. Uh, Jaguars probably host a playoff game against who? I say this is a Steelers fan. My Steelers, who have a quarterback situation issue, that's putting it mildly. The Browns, who have a quarterback carousel slash crisis, which they have 
for literally ever. Uh, or the Indianapolis Colts, who, listen, I love Gardner Minshew too. I've been a Gardner Minshew guy for a while. Don't know if I can see him going to Jacksonville and winning the playoff game. The Colts have not won a playoff game, or heck, won a game in Jacksonville in a decade. I think Jacksonville's going to be fine. And they're good on the road. Uh, again, they, they competed with Kansas City last year. Could they go on the road to beat Baltimore? Eh, dicey. Could they go on the road to beat Miami? I don't know. They're used to that climate. Maybe. Potentially. I'm not ruling I'm not ruling them out. Got a comment here by Patrick. He says, Cincinnati saved their season with a statement win over Jacksonville. Again, I think Cincinnati, more than anything, just kind of postponed the inevitable. They're not going to make the playoffs. Here's their closing schedule. They got uh, Indianapolis. They got Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Cleveland. That's a I was a brutal schedule with Burrow without him and props to Jake Browning, but that's it. Forget about it. It's, it's over for the Bengals. Uh, see what you can do the rest of this year. Maybe Jake Browning, if he keeps playing well, but you miss the playoffs, he becomes a valuable trade asset, or you keep him as a guy who's clearly shown himself to be a reliable backup to Joe Burrow in case he suffers yet another preseason injury. There you go. But I'm not near as worried. Again, I'm not saying the Jaguars are like the favorites in the NF in the AFC. I wouldn't have said that had they won that game on Saturday. I'm, on, I'm sorry, on Monday. But I'm not saying they're out either. They're good on the road. Haven't lost on the road this year. And they're well coached too. Uh, defensively, though, I have concerns. The fact that, no, again, no disrespect, disrespect to Jake Browning. And the Bengals do have great weapons with, with Mixon, with Chase, and with T. Higgins. But 34 points, it's not, it's not great. Not great. Now, and mind you, Josh Allen got a pick, not Josh Allen of the Bills, but Josh Allen of the Jaguars got a pick off of uh, Tyler Boyd on what was a, a, a very poorly executed strict play, to say the very least. Okay, let's now move. I'm looking forward to this one. So carving up the context every week, about a half hour-ish into the show. Uh, this one is going to focus on the offensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Chargers. So, this week's edition of Carving Up the Context and his prime time, Deion Sanders says, give me my theme music. All right, in this week's edition of Carving Up the Context, we're going to take a little look at the Los Angeles Chargers. So you're thinking, Bryce, why are we talking about the LA Chargers? They're they're right now sitting there with a four and seven. I'm sorry, a five and seven record uh, right now, just scratching, clawing just to stay afloat in the AFC Wild Card picture, despite having one of the better rosters in the NFL, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Why are we talking about the Chargers? Well, glad you asked. So. Dak Prescott, quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, has been the topic of discussion over the last two to three weeks or so in the MVP discussion. Is it is Dak Prescott the MVP? Is it Jalen Hurts? Is it Brock Purdy? Is it Tyree Kill? Is it, is it a defensive player potentially? Like all these guys in the MVP discussion, I think to me, Dak is clearly, with no disrespect to the other guys, clearly leading the MVP race, assuming he continues to do what he's doing. I think Dak's the MVP right now. But part of what I said or part of what I think plays in a Dak's MVP case that I don't think is getting talked about enough is that, fair or unfair, the MVP has been a bit of a narrative award. It has been. Aaron Rodgers in 2020 had a fantastic season. Led the Packers to a one seed, threw more than 40 touchdowns, was awesome. It didn't hurt that the Packers had just drafted Jordan Love, and there was this narrative like, oh, the Packers were about to move on from Aaron, and he disrupted that with an MVP year. Didn't hurt that. The narrative helped Aaron Rodgers. Last year, Mahomes lost Tyree Kill, and still threw 41 touchdowns, led the Chiefs to the one seed. And of course, again, postseason doesn't count for the MVP. I think it should, but it doesn't. Uh, and it's up leading them to the Super Bowl. It helped Mahomes' MVP case. 
it helps Dak's MVP case in the sense of what the preconceived and what I have said all along, false preconceived notions were about him coming into this year. That uh, turnover machine, can't trust him in the big games, his mobility's gone, arm strength, eh. You know, just, he's 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 always a reason you win, never the reason, but he's always the reason you lose. That's why I heard about Dak for years. And this year he has been in the Cowboys ever since the loss to the 49ers. They've lost one game since that was the Eagles. That was, Dak was the absolute last reason they lost that game. He was phenomenal. 374 yards passing, three touchdowns, and was literally yards away, a couple of yards away from beating the Eagles on the road. And so all things to consider. Okay, and Dak has in their wins has been the primary reason that they've won these games, especially last week against the Seattle Seahawks. Why do I bring that up? Because last year, part of the reason he did not have the greatest year ever, 23 touchdowns and 15 interceptions in only 12 games, mind you, was the fact that old Kellen Moore was his offensive coordinator. And I said, I don't know if McCarthy will be a genius. And by the way, prayers to Mike, prayers for Mike McCarthy. He just had surgery uh, today. Uh, looks like he's right now. Looks like he's going to be able to coach Sunday. He's dealing with a little bit of health uh, issues. So prayers for Mike McCarthy. Shout out to him. But we weren't sure if Mike McCarthy was necessarily going to be like Bill Walsh this year. And he's been he's done a phenomenal job coaching the Dallas offense, calling the plays. But I said from the get go, oh, okay, it's going to be better than Kellen Moore, because Kellen Moore is the type of dude where. He has to run his offense his way. He's not like the typical great offensive mind where it's, what is my quarterback strengths? Okay, I'm going to play into those. That's what that's what uh, the, the, the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson, with Greg Roman. When Lamar was still not quite developed as a passer, Greg Roman said, what does he do well? Run. Let's, let's buy all in on that. And then once Lamar developed more as a passer, Greg Roman was more of a hindrance, and so they moved on to Tom Munkin, and Lamar's had a really good season. You play into your quarterback's strengths. McCarthy has done that, using Dak's legs, allowing him to take shots down the field. Again, Dak, even with Kellen Moore, was one of the most efficient throwers in the league, taking shots. Kellen Moore was a dink and duck guy, and God knows he is a curl routes guy. He is the most, one of the most predictable offensive minds. I say all that to say that when you look at Justin Herbert's numbers this year, at least entering week 13. It's very, very interesting, okay? So Justin Herbert, this is his fourth year in the NFL. He had, this, this is how many passing touchdowns he had the last three seasons entering uh, week 14, okay? Rookie year had 23 touchdown passes entering this part of the year. Second year, he had 27. 2022, he had 20. This year, though, 20 again. So you're not seeing that steady climb and improvement from Justin Herbert. Also. Since week one, when they ran the ball up and down the field in the Miami Dolphins, the Los Angeles Chargers, through 11 weeks, pretty big sample size, over half the season, have been statistically the worst rushing team in football. I've said, Brandon Staley should be fired, should have been fired after the loss to Jacksonville in the wildcard game last year, and I'm pretty sure he will be gone after this season. But the offensive coordinator plays factor in that as well. You're telling me a Chargers offense, even with the injury to Mike Williams, with Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, with Rashawn Slater as your left tackle, one of the better offensive lines in the league, you're telling me they can only score 16 points over the last two weeks. I simply refuse to believe that a guy in Justin Herbert who has been the absolute model of consistency from a production standpoint all of a sudden is not that good of a quarterback. 
we are making the same. Well, I'm not, but some are making the same mistake with Herbert that we did with Dak. Now, Herbert's more talented than Dak. I acknowledge that. I've been a Herbert guy since day one, been a Dak guy since day one. But Herbert is more talented, although I would take Dak today. Dak Prescott had arguably the worst season of his career with Kellen Moore. So was Justin Herbert. Dak's best season of his career this season comes the moment Kellen Moore's gone. The moment he's gone. Tops in the NFL and QBR. Oh, sorry, not QBR. Uh, Brock Purdy leads in that regard. But uh, Dak has uh, is top three in the NFL in touchdown passes, QBR, passer rating, and is leading the number two scoring offense in all of football. Or number two overall offense, I'm sorry, in all of football. What a surprise. And I heard a lot last season. Well, I mean, Dak can't be that good. Kellen Moore has to be a genius because Cooper Rush came in. Oh, I heard the Cooper Rush hype. And nothing against Cooper Rush because he's, he's a darn good backup. He came in, and Cooper Rush did his job, and that's all you can ask of a backup quarterback. That's more than some guys like Zach Wilson or Mac Jones can say. Okay, so props to Cooper Rush. You want to check Cooper Rush's uh, stat line in some of these games? And by the way, how many points the Cowboys scored when they were just humming with Cooper Rush, right? They scored a grand total of 20 against the Cincinnati Bengals, and Cooper Rush had 235 yards of touchdown. Decent stat line, not going to blow you away. Okay, the next game they played the New York Giants. The Dallas Cowboys offense uh, only mustered 23 points. The majority of those were scored in the fourth. Cooper Rush barely cleared 215 yards and uh, threw a touchdown pass. The next game they played the Washington Commanders. That was actually Rush's best game. Uh, the Cowboys ended up scoring uh, 25 points in that game. Cooper Rush actually played very well, had a couple touchdown passes, although barely completed over 50% of his passes. The next game against the LA Rams. I could have won that game. Given how well the Cowboys were running the ball and playing defense, the Cowboys scored only 22. Cooper Rush threw for 102 yards. Then once defensive coordinators, smart defensive coordinators like Jonathan Gannon, who's with the Eagles last year, now the coach of the Cardinals, once Jonathan Gannon got film on Cooper Rush, 181 yards, one touchdown, three picks. Once Dak came back in the lineup, and I kept saying this last season, half those picks were not on Dak. They simply were not. Either drops by receivers, uh, uh, bad routes by receivers. I mean, I kept saying that, and it's shown itself to be true this season. Cowboys offense, once Dak came back, scored 24, 49, 28, 40, 28, 54, 27, 34, 40, 27, only scored six against the Commanders, and then that one wild card win against Tampa dropped 31. Dak has and always has been the key to the Cowboys' success offensively. It was never killing more. It was never Cooper Rush, but it was definitely never Kellen Moore. Justin Herbert, unfortunately, due to kind of a poorly run franchise, the Spanos family is having to unfortunately deal with the brunt of that. That is why the Chargers offensively have not been even close to what their potential is. Austin Eckler, y'all who play fantasy football, y'all know what I'm talking about, is a touchdown machine. He's been virtually ineffective the last month. Keenan Allen. Now, Keenan's put up a good stat line. He, had, he played awesome against the Detroit Lions last month. Quiet as a as a, a mouse on Christmas Eve the last couple of weeks. 16 points had the Chargers scored against the New England Patriots and against the Baltimore Ravens. Now, Baltimore is a darn good defense, but the Ravens were begging the Chargers to win that game. And is, that, does, is that to say that none of the blame goes on Justin Herbert? Of course not. Got to bear some of the blame. Dak had to bear some of the blame last year. But when you have a coordinator who is close-minded 
and does not allow his quarterbacks to be the best version of themselves, does not coach them and drop plays for them to be the best versions of themselves. You get what you get from Herbert this season. You get what you get from Dak last season. Note to all coordinators out there with, with your quarterbacks, play to their strengths. Kellamore didn't do it with Dak Prescott. He's not doing it now with Justin Herbert. So is the Chargers ineptitude offensively? As more coordinators get film on him, is it shocking to me? No. Could have seen this coming from a mile away. I think a lot of people did. Certainly those who have are, are in the Dak Prescott belief that he's one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league and is now making a serious case to be a top five quarterback in the NFL if he's if he isn't there already. I think he is. Funny. The second Kellen Moore's gone. And by the way, did the Cowboys receiving core take a massive jump? They added Brandon Cooks, who's been a nice piece. There's a reason the Texas traded Brandon Cooks. There's a reason the Saints and the Patriots and the Rams let Brandon Cooks walk in some form or fashion via through trade or through free agency. There's a reason for that. Michael Gallup's washed. Jalen Tolbert is ineffective overwhelmingly. Jake Ferguson, nice, not great. CeeDee Lamb's been unbelievable. Same offense essentially as last year, and they are humming. You play to Dak's strengths, you get the best out of Dak. Kellamore would not. He does not now with Herbert. McCarthy does. Dak's the MVP of the league today. What a surprise. Comment here by Patrick, who is a Cowboys fan. He says, Cowboys fans tried to tell Chargers fans. What Chargers fans, Patrick? 13 of them. I know there's that lady who was at the, the Cowboys-Chargers game. Uh, who had the fantastic reactions to all those plays. I know they had the AI robots at one point. But anyways, he says, Cowboys fans tried to tell Chargers fans, Kellen Moore wouldn't pan out. Media was all giddy, but they've been proven wrong. And it, it's, maybe it's, I, I think it's, we want all of these young guys, these young offensive coordinators to be geniuses. Not all of them are. That's not, I'm not questioning Kellen Moore's football acumen. He's obviously, you know, on the clipboard, he'd be a lot smarter than I could ever dream of being in the game of football. That's anytime I criticize coaches, I'm in no way, this is what people get wrong. I'm no, in no way implying that I could do a better job than these guys. Cause simply put, I couldn't, I couldn't. Um, but relative to the great coordinators in the league, I have reason to criticize you. Look what Mike McCarthy's doing. So again, I'm, I'm hearing all these, uh, all these people blame Herbert. I'm like, guys, this ain't Herbert. <laughs> Herbert was great the last three years before this one. All of a sudden, he's having a down season. What is, and again, it's not a statistical plummet by Herbert. He's not having a terrible year. But by his standards, it's a down year. Now, Staley's going to get fired. That's, that's, that's a formality at this point. Will Kellen Moore, will the Chargers do what they do and be very cheap and say, you know what? Let's just give Kellen Moore the head coaching job. Well, if they do, then they're even more screwed. Even, maybe they'll be the better defensively. They, he'll bring in a solid defensive coordinator, but by and large, uh, they'll they'll be in a bad spot. Go on and get Jim Harbaugh. You think Jim Harbaugh likes to coach Justin Herbert? My guess is probably. Ben Johnson, he'd like to coach Justin Herbert. But, uh, you know, when Dak was successful before killing and after killing and kind of up and down with him, you got to start asking some questions. All right, let's move, though, because this is one of my favorite segments every week. It's called Bryson's Best 10. We're moving into week 14 of the NFL season. And by the way, I, I should add a couple of points before we even get into Bryson's Best 10. A couple of things I did want to get off my chest is that, first of all, I saw that Deontay Johnson of the Pittsburgh Steelers had a quote. He said that the, the team looked past, took the Cardinals lightly all week. 
So my, again, I'm a Steelers fan. I'll predict their game against the Patriots or whatever game it will be tomorrow night. Uh, he said the, Steel, the Steelers took the Cardinals lightly all week going into that game on Sunday where the Cardinals thoroughly outplayed them from start to finish. Okay. That's a Mike Tomlin thing. That's that, that's not in the players. That's not to absolve blame, blame the players. Head coach got to have them ready to go. And this has, at times, become a theme of Mike Tomlin, who is a Hall of Fame head coach, not at a losing record. I get it. And I love Tomlin. That's, that's why I give the Cowboys and the 49ers and teams like that a lot of love. When they play bad teams, they get rid of them quickly. Now, the Steelers are not a championship contender. The Steelers don't have quarterback play even close to Dak Prescott or Brock Purdy. That goes without saying, trust me, I watch the games. I know, it's not even close. Effort's got to be there. Intensity's got to be there. You've got to, surely surely because you can have a strategical advantage over the Cardinals coaching staff. You should have a talent advantage. You certainly do have a talent advantage over what the Cardinals have. That's unacceptable. I want to get that off my chest first and foremost. And secondly, if I can pull this up, uh, because it is is noteworthy, because there's a lot of, there's, there's been a lot of outrage about Florida State not making the college football playoff. I talked about that in, that in depth on Monday. The clip is on YouTube. You can go watch that if you want to. But I saw this uh, today, and people are going get to get on me. Oh, you're getting political. I'm not getting political, okay? I, whenever politics comes into politics, the politicians say, ah, stick to sports. But then politicians talk about sports. Well, then I'm going to talk about the politicians talk about the sports, okay? That's how, that's how the game works. But I saw this. That uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida wants to uh, sue the college football playoff committee. He said he's asking for $1 million of taxpayer money to let Florida State sue the college football playoff committee over their decision to exclude the undefeated Florida State football team from the 14 playoff. Uh, you're wasting tax dollars, Governor. And I hate to tell you, not really, but it ain't going through. <laughs> okay, Bama's still competing in the college football playoff. And by the way, I would if 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 Gavin Newsom in California, obviously DeSantis is a Republican running for president. Newsom's a Democrat governor of California. If Gavin Newsom did this about USC or UCLA not making the playoff, if if a situation like this were to occur, I'd rip Gavin Newsom. Okay, just like I'm ripping Ron DeSantis now. Come on, man. Uh, come on. One million dollars is just just keep wasting that taxpayer money. Come on, man. Florida State's not in whether you sue them or not, so don't don't waste the the, the money of hard hardworking Floridians. Okay, that's messed up. He can't do that. But then again, if there's anything, there's anything politicians know how to do. Okay. And I don't, listen, doesn't matter what party they are. Despite what they tell you, doesn't matter what the party are. They love to spend their money. Or I'm sorry, our money. Love to spend our money. I had to get those things, a couple things off my chest. Just had to mention those things. All right. Back on track. Every week I do a segment. It is called Bryson's Best Tim. It's my top 10 teams in the NFL. And again, as time goes on, it is a new segment that I introduced at the start of the football season. Bryson's best 10 can be used for a lot of things. And I will use it for NBA players. I, I might even use it for things outside of sports. I mean, like up, Christmas is coming up. The holidays are actually we're basically in the midst of the holidays. Top 10 Christmas movies. I may do that. I may, I may do that. Just depends on what happens. I may do a segment like that. We'll see. Stay tuned. But for the time being, we're going into week 14. Let's look at Bryson's best 10, my top 10 teams, NFL teams going into week 14. This hurts. I mean, this hurts. The 10th best team in the National Football League. God, this hurts. The Green Bay Packers. The Packers are the 10th best team in all football, making their Bryson's best 10 debut 
And here's why. The reason, by the way, I say I don't want the Packers in is because my sister is a Packers fan. She's She's been all over me this week. It's, it's, it's brutal. I'm having to hear a lot about how Jordan loves the second coming Aaron Rodgers. Point is, though, Packers are in. Here's why. So, three-game winning streak, beating the Chargers, who are fighting for a playoff spot. Lions, who are very good. Probably going to, uh, not probably, they are going to win the NFC North. And then they took took it to the higher highest level beat the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs and Jordan Love thoroughly outplayed Aaron Rodgers. I'm sorry, thoroughly outplayed Patrick Mahomes in that game. Uh, Jordan Love's been really good over the last uh, few weeks. Doesn't have any interceptions. Uh, I think he has eight, nine touchdown passes. They've been efficient. They've run the football effectively. Uh, Jordan Love looks as comfortable, as calm, as composed as I've seen him all season long. He looks to be getting more comfortable. This Packers defense is playing good football as of late. Rashawn Gary, the secondary in Green Bay, has been good. So I can't lie about why my eyes, what my eyes are telling me. If you look at the Packers' upcoming schedule, Right now, they're in the playoffs of the season ended today. And look at their upcoming schedule. A lot of bad teams coming up. They got a great chance and a golden opportunity to sneak in the playoffs after starting three and six. Got to give props where it's due. Got to be honest with what my eyes are telling me. The Packers are the 10th best team in the National Football League. At number nine, I'm not kicking them out just because of the injury to their quarterback because he'll be back. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville, the ninth best team in the National Football League. And here's why. So I mentioned with this with Jacksonville earlier. Yes, Trevor Lawrence went down. Yes, I think he, he should, if he's even healthy to go whatsoever. I think you should sit for the next couple of weeks. You lose to Cleveland, uh, you lose to Baltimore, and you win your last three games of the season to go 11-6, and six, likely, in all likelihood, win the AFC South and, uh, and get to the playoffs. The thing about the Jaguars you cannot forget is the fact that they are, again, top five in the NFL in terms of takeaways. They are undefeated on the road uh, this season. They're one of the least penalized teams in the NFL this season. That's a that's a props that's props to Doug Peterson, the head coach. Uh, Christian Kirk is out, which is a concern of mine. But Evan Ingram looks as good as he's ever looked in his career. We thought at one point he might be a bust with the Giants. Goes to the Jaguars with Trevor. Looks very good. Uh, the offensive line, Jacksonville, despite losing their left tackle, has been pretty good at excuse me as of late. I still like the weapons they have over there. So I'm not going to boot Jacksonville just yet. They they could really use a win this weekend against Cleveland. Could have really used that win against Cincinnati. Not going to boot them out they, boot, boot them out yet. The Jaguars, the ninth best team in the National Football League. Staying in the AFC South at number eight, the highest this team has been on Bryce's best 10. It is the Houston Texans. Who'd have thought at this point in the season, not only would I have the Texans in the top 10, but I have had them at number eight with a potential shot at the uh, at the playoffs, the AFC, the Texans are the 10th best team, uh, the eighth best team. I'm sorry. The Texans are the eighth best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So the Texans, C.J. Stroud's having the greatest season we've ever seen by any rookie quarterback. Now, they did lose Tank Dell, which is brutal. Uh, shout out to Tank Dell. He's had a fantastic season uh, this year, his rookie year. But if you look at the Texans, okay, they're a game back right now of the Jaguars. Upcoming stretch, Jets, Titans, Browns, Titans, Colts either backup quarterbacks or straight-up awful quarterbacks the rest of the way for the Houston Texans this season. They have a legitimate shot with Trevor down to potentially steal that division. The defense has been pretty good as of late. D'Amico Ryan's done a good job. They forced three turnovers off of a mostly turnover-free Russell Wilson. He only has five games in his career throwing three interceptions. The Texans on Sunday forced one of those. I love what they're doing on the defensive side. Derek Stingley Jr. has been fantastic. C.J. Strauss playing unbelievable football. And this, is, this Texas offense is as explosive as they come in the NFL. Run the football effectively. The offensive line's finding its rhythm. And I love the weapon they have there in Houston. The Texans are the eighth best team in the National Football League. At number seven, they don't move from last week. They took care of business, did what they were supposed to do. It is the Detroit Lions. The Lions are the seventh best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So that first seven-minute burst by Detroit, I'm thinking, whoa, 
There's the team I, I picked to get to the NFC Championship game before the year. Went up 21-0, and Jared Goff's dealing, and my man Sam Laporta, who I think is going to be an awesome tight end in this league, is doing his thing, and Jamison Williams running the end around in that game. They look, they're clicking offensively. They only scored 12 points. They scored 21 in the first seven minutes, only scored 12 in the last 53. Well, the defense, which I sounded the alarm about for a couple weeks now, I am concerned about this Lions defense. It's showing flashes of the bad defense that it was a year ago. They're struggling to get to the quarterback. Even with Derek Carr, unfortunately, going down in that game for Houston, Jameis Winston came in, and there was a moment there where we're like, dang, the Saints might steal this game because of how poorly Detroit was playing defensively. Again, the good news for the Lions is, is, is again, going forward, they're playing some average to bad quarterbacks the rest of the way. They did struggle, though, with Justin Fields a few weeks ago. They do play him in Chicago on Sunday. I don't love the defense. I love the offense. Love Dan Campbell. That's my man. And I love Ben Johnson, who's going to be a head coach in the NFL next year. At least he should be. I still, I'm going to cling to uh, the, the slim possibility because I believe in pick integrity that the Detroit Lions will somehow, some way, somehow, some way, let's get their teeth. It's the NFC Championship game. Love what Detroit's doing today. They are the seventh best team in the National Football League. At number six, jumping three spots. So a big jump for this team from a week ago. It is the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins are the sixth best team in the NFL. And here is why. So the thing for the Miami Dolphins is they have a little bit of the same narrative around them right now that the Cowboys do that Man, when they play the bad teams, they mop the floor with them. Just beat Washington, scored 45 points on the road last week. Tyreek Hill had yet another monster game, is on his way to a 2,000-yard season in the MVP discussion for that very reason. Here's the thing, though, about Miami, okay? Maybe they haven't beaten the great teams, such as, uh, you know, such as Philadelphia that struggled and Kansas City, they couldn't get much going offensively. But the good news for the Miami Dolphins is they have some big-time games upcoming against Dallas, uh, an opportunity to kind of right the old wrongs. Uh, of what they've struggled with with great teams. And we think about Miami as this finesse team, Tua throwing it deep to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and doing roller coasters in the end zone. Miami Dolphins second in the NFL in rushing. So Raheem Moster, who I was big on starting to start the season, love what the Dolphins were doing in terms of running the football. They play a very similar brand as San Francisco. They're obviously not as good as San Francisco, don't have quite the personnel, really who does, that the Niners have, but they play because, they play like the Niners because Mike McDaniel came from the Niners. He was the OC with Kyle Shanahan just a couple of years back. I love what the Dolphins are doing in terms of running the football. Two is playing the best he's played late in the season his career. Again, I apologize to Dolphins fans after the 70-point game against Denver. I was wrong about Tua. Love what he's doing this season. Tyreek Hill has been a man amongst boys all season long. Dolphins right now the sixth best team in the National Football League. At number five is a team that did not play last week, but by virtue a team ahead of them uh, uh, losing. It was the Jacksonville Jaguars, by the way. This team moves in at number five. At number five, it is the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens, while I truly hate them, are the fifth best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So, a lot of folks have Baltimore as the favorite to win the AFC, and I completely understand that. They're the one seed as we sit here today. They have a lot of winnable, or not, I shouldn't say a lot of winnable, pretty tough schedule down the stretch, but Baltimore's an opportunity against Jacksonville at the back of quarterback. The Rams, who are good, not great. And Lamar Jackson's having a pretty solid year uh, this season. Offensive line for Baltimore's been very good. The defense has been nothing short of spectacular this season, led by Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, being able to take the football away, hold teams into the teens in terms of points. They're top five in the NFL in scoring at defense. Again, I... The Mark Andrews injury is crucial. It's a critical, critical loss for this football team. Can they come back for it? Only time, or come back from it, rather. Only time will tell. I like what they're able to bring to the table in terms of their ability to run the football effectively, which they still do, despite the offensive coordinator change. And Lamar, even that Mark Andrews, 
He still does have Zay Flowers and Odell Beckham Jr. So the weapons are there, unlike years past. If Mark Andrews went down, this Ravens offense would have cratered because they had absolutely nobody to throw to. I like, I love what they're doing defensively. I think they can still reach another gear offensively. That's why right now I still have the Ravens at number five, the fifth best team in the National Football League. At number four, again, I know they lost, but they did not move on my list. It is the defending champs. It is the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs are the fourth best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So, look, I get the offense was disappointing once again. Only 19 points to Green Bay, although Green Bay is a pretty darn good defense, but still, the Kansas City of old, the Patrick Mahomes uh, of years past would have probably put up 25 to 30 on this defense. They're struggling at times to run the football. The O-line's uh, struggling. Mahomes is, is, is really turning the football over at an alarming rate, at least over the last couple of weeks, the last two or three weeks. So that's something you may want to keep uh, keep your eye on if you're a Chiefs fan. Uh, but listen, the fact of the matter is their defense, while they did lose some starters, they have overwhelmingly been this season one of the better units in all football. They got a big-time test coming up against the Buffalo Bills, who are coming off of a bye week. Josh Allen, if we'll talk about this more on Friday. His numbers against the Chiefs in Arrowhead are very impressive. Uh, I think the Bills averaged something like 30 points a game. So Josh Allen's been good at Arrowhead, and the Chiefs have struggled against him. But secondary is still very good. McDuffie, even though they lost their starting safety for the year, they still have McDuffie. Uh, they still have uh, Sneed. Uh, defensively, they have, uh, defensive line, they obviously still have Chris Jones. I still like what the Kansas City Chiefs are able to bring from a talent perspective and from a production perspective on the defensive end. I'm still going to hold on to the faith that they somehow, some way, despite the fact they desperately needed a number one receiver, will get it right at some point or another. They've got a golden opportunity to do it against a desperate Bills team on Sunday at Arrowhead. The Chiefs are the fourth best team, despite the loss in the National Football League. At number three, this team also lost, but they dropped a couple of spots from number one. It is the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles are the third best team in all of football, and here is why. So listen, they got the doors blown off them against the San Francisco 49ers, 42 to 19. That's what San Francisco does to a lot of teams. That's just the norm. That's they, they did it to Jacksonville, did it to Dallas, did it to Philadelphia, although the Philly game was on the road, kind of like the Jaguars game, and Devo Samuel went off. That, to me, is the concern about this Eagles team, is the secondary is atrocious. Now, they address the defensive side of the ball by signing Shaq Leonard. I don't know if he'll make an impact day one. Still got to get uh, used to that playbook. So I don't know if he'll be that effective against the Cowboys on Sunday in that massive game at Jerry World. But as time goes on, I think he's going to be a fantastic addition to that defense. Offensively, yes, down game by Jalen Hurts in this Eagles offense. But that has simply not been the norm. If you look at the last few games by Philadelphia uh, from an offense perspective, Okay, last week against the Bills, they dropped uh, 37 on them. Two weeks before that, 28 on a good Cowboys defense. 20, 38 before that against Washington. 31 against a Dolphins defense that all of a sudden looks pretty darn impressive. So Philly still has an incredible ability to score the football at a very high level, or score touchdowns at a very high level with Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Gardner will come back sooner rather than later from injury. I don't love their running game, but as long as Jalen Hurts is able to be effective there, uh, I, I feel good about where they're at. And again, as far as the offensive line, that was really one of the only bright spots about Philadelphia is Lane Johnson, future first bout Hall of Famer, so maybe we shouldn't be all this, that surprised. But facing one of the premier pass rushers in all the league and Nick Bosa absolutely dominated him start to finish. The Eagles offensive line was in many stretches in that game very good. Big test against Dallas and Micah Parsons coming up though on Sunday. The Eagles are the third best team in the National Football League. At number two, the highest they've been on Bryce's best 10, it is the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas, number two. 
second best team in the NFL, and here's why. So Dak Prescott's season is, is it goes without saying, he's been the best quarterback, and it's not even close in the National Football League this season. He's top five in virtually every category that matters. Touchdown passes, completion percentage, QBR passer rating, touchdown interception ratio he leads after I could have sworn I was told all of this offseason that he's a turnover machine. I could have sworn I was told that. But anyways, Dak's been great. Uh, CeeDee Lamb's been amazing. Jake Ferguson, while I don't think he's as good as people are giving credit for, I don't think he's elite by any stretch, has played very well the last couple of weeks. I do, not as not near as much as I do with Philadelphia, I do have some concerns about Dallas' defense. I wonder and I worry for their sake if Seattle might have provided the blueprint in terms of kind of exposing Deron Bland as more of a ball hawk than a pure cover corner, kind of in the way that Trayvon Diggs was in 2021 before he improved more as a cover corner. But I still like Stephon Gilmore there. Micah Parsons is still a monster. Don't know why the Seahawks left him unblocked in the last play of the game. No clue why that was the case. But the interior defense line, Dallas good. Demarcus Lawrence, still an impact player, has a very good grade right now by pro football focus in his position. Offensively, the Cowboys are humming. By the way, healthy offensive line. This is very rare for December. But the Dallas offensive line, knock on wood, hopefully I'm not jinxing this right now, is healthy virtually across the board. So they're good in that regard. Dallas is as explosive as any offensive league. Dak is the MVP of the league. McCarthy's doing a fantastic job. And the defense needs to kind of find its way a little bit. But I love where Dallas is right now. Again, big test on Sunday against Philadelphia. The Cowboys are the second best team in the National Football League. And at number one, I think it's quite obvious, it is. They return to their number one spot from weeks past, the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are the best team in the NFL, and here's why. Well, should I really have to tell you why? I mean, Christian McCaffrey's the best running back in the league. George Kittle, arguably the best tight end in the league. Trent Williams, best left tackle in the league. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, 1,000-yard receiver, is going to do it back-to-back seasons. Uh, Debo Samuel, best overall offensive juggernaut piece in the league, running the football and catching the football. Defensively, they have Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Eric Armstead, Fred Warner, Drake Greenlaw, and, uh, and they have the kid or not, not the kid, uh, forgetting his name, right? Traveris Ward at corner, who's playing very good this season, and Kyle Shanahan, one of the great offensive gurus of our time calling plays, and they have this guy by the name of Brock Purdy, who I don't think is the MVP of the league, certainly not over Dak, but is having a phenomenal season, leading the NFL in passer rating and in QBR. He's having a fantastic year. Again, if Brock Purdy is the weak link of this Niners team, they're in good shape. They rolled. Rolled one of the three best teams in the league, I believe, in the Philadelphia Eagles. Did so, uh, again, obviously in dominant fashion. The, the San Francisco 49ers today, and like they were early in the season in Bryce's best 10, are the best team in the National Football League. So shout out to San Francisco. Very, very impressive win against Philadelphia uh, on Sunday. If we could pull this up here, I have the whole list of uh, of Bryson's best 10, or, or my best 10. The segment's called Bryson's best 10. Let's pull it up here. Okay, there it is. So there's the full screen right there. My top 10 teams right there, top to bottom. San Francisco in this order, 1 to 10. San Francisco, Dallas, Philadelphia, Kansas City, Baltimore, Miami, Detroit, Houston, Jacksonville, much to my chagrin, Green Bay. Again, with the Packers, I can't lie about what my eyes are telling me. You know, as long as they work, as long as I'm able to watch the games, I'm going to be honest with what I see. The Packers playing very good football. So is Jordan Love. I'm not still not quite ready to say that he's officially the guy in Green Bay. So i got to see more. Three great games is not a great quarterback make, or a franchise quarterback make, rather. But if he continues this, and the Packers' schedule is pretty light to end the year, make the playoffs, that's a win. And Jordan Love certainly gets an opportunity next season, and we'll see what happens beyond that. So there you go. All right. So I want to first of all apologize on behalf of the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
on behalf of Steelers Nation. Because uh, there's going to be a game played, and I'm not even, I'm not even going to put in background music because it doesn't deserve it. There's going to be a game play tomorrow night between my Pittsburgh Steelers who are going to be hosting the New England Patriots. And you will have two bona fide backup quarterbacks facing. Bailey Zappi for the Patriots, who went scoreless against the worst pass defense in all football at home. And Mitch Trubisky, who was on his third team in seven seasons. So it's not a great, not a great quarterback matchup. Certainly relative to last week, Dak versus Geno Smith just throwing darts out there. It's two great coaches. Both, one certainly more than the other, have shown an inability to adjust to the modern NFL in terms of offensive play and quarterbacks. I've criticized them both this season. Tomlin, and in a far more egregious case, Belichick. Because not only can he get not get the quarterback right, he can't even get the receivers right. At least the receivers are pretty good in Pittsburgh and the weapons. It, Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, George Pickens. They've got guys over there. they got some productive dudes. Defensively, though, both teams are excellent. Patriots have given up 10 or less over the last three games. They're actually the first team in, in, in almost a century since 1938, since FDR was in office to give up only 10 points or less in three straight games and lose all of them. It hasn't happened since the 30s. It goes to show you how offensively inept they are, but Steelers aren't that much better. Only 10 points against an awful Cardinals defense that had just the week prior given up 37 to the Los Angeles Rams and Matthew Stafford. Steelers are six-point favorites. I, I don't know if I'd love betting that. This would, If this game were on a Sunday, it would be Bryson's bleak bet. It simply would be. There's, there's no way on earth that I would, in good conscience, take my Steelers to cover. Tomlin, historically, has not been a very good home favorite. He just hasn't been. He's been a great home underdog, not a good home favorite. It's going to be an offensive uh, snooze fest. But I'll take my Steelers, I guess, to cover and to win 17-9. to nine. It's listen, the pay list as bad as we are offensively. I don't think there's actually, I don't think there, there are no worse teams offensively right now than the New England Patriots who, unless they just straight up blow it in the last few weeks of the season are going to worst case, get the second pick and take either Drake may or who I would take Michael Penix jr. Although for my man, Penix's Penix jr's sake, I hope he doesn't end up in Foxborough. At least if Belichick is still there. Whew, yikes. It's gonna be a bad one. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a really bad football game. If you love defense, then knock yourself out. It enjoys three hours of awful football. Offensively, though, wow, not great. Okay, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody for stopping by, as always. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. We are just, we are within 10 subscribers of getting to 600. We're trying to get to, obviously, 1,000. I've, I've, I've mentioned this before. Trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is February the 11th. We are that close, and I mean that close, to 600. So we're getting there. We are making a, 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 a great trek to the finish line, so be sure to go check that out. Uh, and subscribe uh, to Carving Up Live. And of course, just as important, go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. Be sure to go check that all out. 
fantastic content creators. And by the way, 8 o'clock spot live on the Grid Network every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time. Had a phenomenal show last night. Shout out to Ryan Flowers, Mike Guido, and Barry Grant Jr., uh, who happened to be our original. When we did the pilot for the 8 o'clock spot, those were the original three, and they put together a fantastic show as they, have, of course, are more incapable of doing last night. So check that out on the Grid Network and check us out live on the 8 o'clock spot next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. See y'all on Friday. I guess I'll react to the Steelers game. I guess. I definitely would like to talk some Aaron Rodgers and Jets because they have been all up in the news over the last 48 hours. Definitely going to be talking about that. And of course, week 14 Sunday NFL predictions. Tune in for that. Upset of the week, Bryce's bleak bet, and my favorite segment in the whole wide world. Would I have betting that? If I were a bet man. See y'all then. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence here in America. We've got to address this problem. No question about it. Okay. I'm going to be on with the Cowboys Cam Fan in about an hour and 45. The Cowboys Cam Fan Podcast here at the grid. And, of course, uh, the, the show is going to be on their YouTube channel, Cowboys Cam Fan. We're obviously talking Dallas Cowboys. Very excited to be on with those guys. So, for those who are going to be tuning in, I'll see y'all in like an hour and a half plus. Uh, stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. On to the can, fam, baby. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.